What do you know about that, man? <laughs> That was pretty fun. <laughs> you want to go ahead and get the podcast started? Sure. Let's let's roll, baby. All right. I'm Chase Winnegar, host of the podcast. Lee McClellan, co-host. I hope everybody's enjoying this wonderful uh, deer weather we've had. There you go. And today's guest is nobody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They saw me coming and took off running. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> no, I, I'll be honest with you, Lee. We tried to round up a guest yeah, no. from wildlife, mm-hmm. but guess what? It's peak deer season mm-hmm. and wildlife is slammed yeah with cwd so. cwd sampling in western kentucky and eastern kentucky so wildlife slam fisheries is slamming but that's a good thing though because those guys being slammed means it's a great time mm-hmm. outdoors like no they, they're busy because the outdoors are busy and sportsmen and women of kentucky should be busy too so it's uh i've been out deer hunting so far yesterday was the first day since modern firearm season opened that i had not hunted I'd, I'd gotten to go with buddies. I'd gotten to go with uh, Chad for the show, film a segment there. I, I went for myself, and I took my brother. But first, I know that your brother mm-hmm. got to go do a little bit of deer hunting, too. So. Opening day, yeah, he's only 9 o'clock in the morning. He sent me a, uh, a picture and a couple of friends. Uh, 21 and a half inch uh, inside spread. That's the biggest one he's taken off his That's place. That's a really big deer. Yeah. That that would be. It, uh, green score around, it, with D-ducks around 128 inches. Well, 120, I mean, so it was a, a wide, mm-hmm. not super wide. tall deer. Yeah. Wide, not super tall. Base was not super broad, but the, the, the spread was he really impressive. Pretty tickled with it. Oh, he's over the moon. Yeah, I'm trying to think and, you know, t- I don't know if I've ever harvested a buck wider than that. Hmm. I think the the widest buck I ever harvested was a just a real wide six pointer, and he was like an anomaly how wide he was. But I'm not even sure he was that wide. So that might be one of the wider bucks, you know. Because once you basically you consider 15 inches the ears, you know. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about well three, beyond. Yeah, and that's inside spread. So mm-hmm. so how did that go down? Was that here in Franklin County? No, that was in uh, Robbie lives uh, um, on Persimmon Knob, which is. Uh, uh, right on the Boyle uh, Lincoln County line. Okay, that's a good spot. Yeah, any place good. called Persimmon Knob has to be good. No, for deer, uh, right? man, there's deer everywhere out there. Yeah. Um, it, the first time he's hunted with a uh, with his 350 Legend, he just built. So, I don't even know what a 350 Legend is. Well, it's a new cartridge that's on an AR platform. Okay. And he said, you know, it doesn't kick hard, but it really, really put the put the uh, put the uh, payload. Uh, Downrange. It, it sounds like it's probably something, a 350 Legend, 350, you know, it's a pretty good size diameter. I'd mm-hmm. say it's probably a packs of wallop and uh, probably isn't moving too awful fast. Probably no. a bit more of a brush gun type he, deal. He said he hit him in the shoulder and uh, two steps and he was rolling down the hill. Nice. He's Very said. nice. <laughs> well, your brother got a big buck. Yeah. My brother did not get a big buck, but he got a deer. Okay. Good. So he, he's he's more of a meat hunter, Grant is. And, uh, you know, he, he's not super hardcore about hunting. He likes to get out here and there. And he asked me if we could go shoot a doe the other night. He's looking for just meat. He's trying Heck to. Yeah, it's good. He's kind of like a bodybuilder. He lifts a lot, watches his diet. So I think the lean meat probably appeals to him. No doubt. And a lot of it for cheap mm-hmm. probably appeals to him. So he just wanted to go get some meat. And we went out two days ago. And you know how sometimes you get out in the woods or you go fishing and everything's just still and mm-hmm. quiet. There's no squirrels moving. Birds really aren't chirping. And you can just tell, like, you almost want to kick back and take a nap. I feel like everything's that way. And that's how it was when we first got out there. And we didn't see anything. 
And then finally, right before dark, Spike Buck, little Spike, mm-hmm. walks out in the field. And, you know, we were doe hunting, but he said, you know, can I take it? And I was like, go for it, man. Thank you. If that's the deer you want, go for it. And uh, like I said, he's just interested in the meat. So he uh, dropped that Spike Buck where it stood. A good shot. For, and, uh, you know, it, it was fun to get out there with him, uh, process his deer in the field for him. And that's, that's one thing I was kind of, you know, debating back and forth about talking about is – you know, he harvested that deer and he's a fairly new hunter. He doesn't really know how to process a deer. I don't think he's ever done it himself. And he's doing this to save money. So taking a deer to a processor. Kind of, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it still saves money because even if you pay 90 or 100 bucks to get a deer processed, you get, you know, let's just say 45 pounds of, of meat back. Mm-hmm. Well, you're looking at $2 a pound. Yeah. And go to Kroger and look at beef. Yeah, no doubt. So you're still saving money if you process a deer. But I was sitting there thinking, you know, I'll, you know, maybe I'll make it as Christmas present or something. But so I took all that deer meat home and I, and I spent last night, I did half of it, cleaning it up and vacuum sealing it and trying to put it in a, you know, trying to get it as ready to cook and as clean and pretty looking as possible just so that he'll use it and enjoy it Mm -hmm. more. And that's something that, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to toot my own horn at all, but I thought about it Mm -hmm. and I thought, man, if you're trying to get somebody into deer hunting, you're trying to make them enjoy it. That's something that if you know what you're doing, you know, you, that's, it's a little bit of an extra step, but it's something you can do for people that makes the meat just easier to use and more enjoyable to use and makes that person more likely to probably want to keep going. So that's something that uh, I haven't given it to him yet, but I'm hoping he enjoys it. I might tell him it's his Christmas present and save some money on gifts this year. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just going to charge him by the hour, tell him it was uh, 90 or 100 bucks or something <laughs> like that. And he better get me something 90 or 100 bucks back. So. <laughs> No, that's not that's not really a good trade off as far as saving money. But now, so both of our brothers have been out and been, been successful. Mm-hmm. We haven't, right? Yep, pretty much. But you know, a lot of people have. I think the weather has been about as perfect as you could ask for. Oh, that, I think that played a big role. I went hunting with a buddy of mine on opening morning, and you know, I never know what to believe about the meteorologist and what they say because mm-hmm. you know, half the time you can just throw it in the wind, but. So I wasn't really expecting anything crazy on opening morning. I saw, okay, snow chance, whatever. Went out there, man. We got like a, I mean, it was white. Yeah. We got a solid white covering. And that was one of the coolest opening mornings of modern firearm season I can remember. Because, you know, snow is rare mm-hmm. in modern firearm season. It might no be doubt. like once every five years, you think, mm-hmm. we probably yeah. get snow. That's I can remember that the, early. Yeah. Because we always try to make it a point to go out and film for the show when there's snow on the ground just because it's so beautiful. Mm -hmm. You know, the scenery looks great, and you can pick the deer out in the woods or see them from a distance. It just looks really good on camera, and it's fun. Mm -hmm. We've only filmed one. I love to fish in the snow. I just love the snow. If it's going to be like it is outside right now, give me snow. No doubt. But we, uh, we typically try to go out and film if we have snow, and we've only filmed one deer hunt in the snow since i've been here so i'm guessing since 2016 it's probably only snowed once or maybe twice during modern firearm season so Mm -hmm. to get it on opening day when the most hunters were out in the woods it probably made for one of the better opening days you know that i can remember my brother is very happy yeah and i've seen some good deer go down so your brother got his on opening day yeah so it was in the snow yeah yeah early in the morning but i don't think they got as much as we did down there okay he's a little bit further south you know he's 15 minutes outside of that. See, I, and I thought about it because, like, making social media posts for 
the Kentucky Field TV show Facebook page, I you know I I started to say something about how we had snow, but then I'm thinking I'm I'm speaking to the whole state. So I was wondering how much st- snow you know we Western didn't get as much as Louisville did. But yeah, the Louisville area did here in Frankfurt. Louisville and uh, so it's kind of the bluegrass region. Mm-hmm. They got the most of it. Yeah. Do you know if Eastern and Western saw snow? I don't know. I have to ask some people who are working the check stations because, like I said, a lot of our staff were in far west or far east mm-hmm. Kentucky. So. It'd be pretty easy to to figure it out if we just ask around a little bit. But I thought that the weather was absolutely perfect for opening weekend, especially when you watched what happened last week. It was in the 70s. I know. You remember? And that's terrible deer weather if it was contained. They're running around stupid right now. You know, not stupid, but they're just jacked up on testosterone and the does are, you know, going into asterisk. So the smell of love is in the air Mm -hmm. and they just can't stand it. So they're running around and you can drive down the road and you can kind of tell. Mm-hmm. You know, it's every single day. It seems like during my 55-mile drive from Louisville to Frankfurt for work, it seems like there's a new deer on the side of the road almost every day right now. So, um, you know, and I don't know if you talked to anybody about what they noticed in the woods, but as far as what I saw, like I said, I was out there every day besides yesterday. And to me, I saw in the bluegrass region, and I think it's probably different everywhere, and every deer's an individual, but in general what I saw were small bucks out cruising, out mm-hmm. chasing, out looking for does. If they saw a doe, they'd chase them around like crazy. And about half of the big bucks I noticed were locked up. And I'm talking about bedded with does, hanging out with does, not leaving does. Mm-hmm. So they were locked up with a group of hot does. And if a small buck came near those does, big buck would chase them off and turn around and go straight back to those does. And then about half the big bucks I saw were cruising, were covering mm-hmm. ground looking for big does. They were looking for does. So I kind of think that, you know, I would take that. If half the big bucks are up and on their feet and moving around and mm-hmm. half of them are locked up with does, I mean, you can't complain about that at all, especially no with the weather. So I hope it was a good modern fire or a good opening weekend and good first almost week now for everybody. I haven't harvested a deer yet, but I'm going to. I'm trying to kind of, you know, take other people and, and do that right now. And I'm really honestly looking for a convenient opportunity to process some deer because when I – go out and hunt i plan on taking two does and i plan on processing them myself and i plan on doing it right so i would prefer not to have to do all that in the dark so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm looking for a morning opportunity with decent weather i can go out there and spend some time outside and just you know i, I really i'm looking for eight or ten hours free so i can knock all that work out yeah so that's one reason i haven't gone and harvested those does yet or after what'd work. your brother use uh he shoots a it's a Ruger American and 6.5 Creedmoor. Hmm. That's a nice, I mean, it's a, you know, those, those Ruger Americans are kind of one of Ruger's lower end rifles. Yeah, Robbie has one. They're a package rifle. Mm-hmm. Chad has two of them also. Um, the 243, he has two 243s in Ruger American, one of them's a youth. But for, you know, bang for the buck, seem like a pretty good rifle. Yeah, they are. Everybody that I talk to likes My how My brother's shoot. very fond of Ruger. And I've never been a big 6.5 Creedmoor fan. Mm-hmm. I've heard, uh, people who uh deer deer tracking people who look who professionally track deer call it the 6.5 need to bleed more because they Mm -hmm. aren't happy with the blood trails they get with it and Mm -hmm. but as far as what i've seen my my brother i've watched him shoot two deer with it and either one of them took a step he's uh two deer zero tracking jobs (laughs) that's good you know i really think it's about shot placement yeah no doubt so and then of course I got out with Chad, and he harvested a nice buck for the show. You saw pictures of that, right? Mm-hmm. You haven't seen the video yet, though, have no, you? No, I have not. Man, that buck put on a show for us. He came in there, and he 
we watched him scrape a tree for, I mean, in real time, it was probably five or six minutes. Where was it? Mm-hmm. Um, far east Shelby County. Um, it's a farm we've hunted for a few years. You know, we have a, a farmer who has ag on that property, and there was a deer population issue, and he asked us if we'd come out and take does. It is primarily what we're there for. So we make it a point to take a lot of does every single year. Mm-hmm. Last year, you know, you won't see it on the show. I mean, Chad obviously harvested a lot of does on the show. I go out and personally harvest deer. I took my brother out there. He harvested a deer, you know. So it's kind of like a tag team effort. But last year we, as a group, were responsible for 18 um, wow. coming off that property. It's about 280 acres. Wow. So that that It, it that, does have a lot. Yeah. It has a lot. And uh I, well, but I, we might be making a difference. It's hard to tell. The first year the farmer started farming that property, it was making 110 bushel an acre of corn, right? Mm-hmm. And now it's making 200. Wow. So, you know, if you if you think about cost not going up yeah. that much, you know, it's kind of like there's a break-even point. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that is. Let's just say it's 100 bushel an acre mm-hmm. is your break-even point. Well, that means that farmer was only making 10 bushel an acre of profit mm-hmm. back then, and now they're maybe making 100. So yeah. it might be 10 times as much profit. Yeah. How much of that is us taking deer? I don't know. But let's... It's significant, no doubt. And you know, but in the pudding. Far, farmers also put in a lot of work as far as uh, irrigation, not irrigation, but uh, like runoff, trying to prevent prevent topsoil runoff mm-hmm. by allowing you know native grasses to grow in in uh, ditches and low spots, so that the there's a root system there and the topsoil doesn't just run out of the field. So that, and you know, of course, they probably do other work to the field. I don't know about, but it's producing a lot more now. So hopefully, our deer harvest is working. But. That- yeah, looks uh, empirical to me. I mean, you can't you can't uh, argue with the numbers, but it was fun going out there and being a part of that hunt, getting to see. I mean, that that deer we took on the show, which hasn't aired yet, it'll probably air um, early December. I think December twelfth because we're preempted on KT for the last weekend of November and the first weekend of December. So December twelfth is probably when that deer hunt will air. But it came in there. And it made a rub right in front of us. It made a scrape right in front of us. It chased this little buck, buck off right in front of us. And I was worried, you know, are we going to get a shot at this deer? Because Chad was being almost too patient. You know, yeah. I was worried that, we, you know, all of a sudden he was going to see something he didn't like and take off through the woods and we were never going to see him again. But, man, Chad played it perfect and he let that deer put on a show and he waited for a perfect shot. And, you know, it all worked out really well. So I'm looking forward to editing that segment. I haven't gotten to yet, but that's kind of my next uh, project to start working on. Cool. Something else I wanted to do, though, today, Lee, is, you know, every now and then we talk about, like I just mentioned, I filmed a deer hunt. Yeah. And I'm going to edit this segment. And we talk about stuff like that, you know, what I'm doing aside from the podcast. And we talk about, you know, every now and then you'll say, I just wrote an article about mm-hmm. this or I just wrote an article about that. But it's probably been since the very first podcast, which was, I think, 107 of them ago. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> I, I, this is like number 107 or All 106. Right. Something like that. But it's been a long time since we've actually circled awesome. back and touched on what do we do. So so I was kind of hoping that today you could give me a rundown of, aside from the podcast, what exactly it is that you do for the department. Well, um, I clean the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm old. I feel no. like you just make them dirty. <laughs> yeah, that's, unfortunately, that's true. Yeah. Um, well, I'm associate editor of Kentucky Field Magazine, the official publication of the Department of Fish and Wildlife Resources. So I write articles for the magazine. Yeah. 
I also write a Kentucky Field Outdoors column that mm-hmm. goes out. We're doing about every two weeks right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got another one getting ready to queue up that'll go out uh, right after the holidays, it looks like. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I also write uh, news releases. Um, I take photographs. I do public speaking. And I oversee the uh, waterfowl, the migratory bird, and the fishing guides. So tell me in a nutshell, so that's a, the print branch. Yes. Is what what the branch is called. Yes. Tell me what all the print branch is composed of. Like what are the responsibilities of the print branch? Well, we produce a lot. Um, we produce posters. Uh, we have a staff artist, Rick Hill, who mm-hmm. we should have on sometime. I've tra- yeah, Has Rick, he been on before? Rick might have been on one time. Yeah. but yeah, I think Rick, I, I'll, I'll work on him. He, yeah, know, he's shy. I would love to have Rick on Yeah, him. me too. Um, so, you know, Rick artwork will be used on tons of things um mm-hmm. you know ashley our new graphic designer she just did all the uh, commission uh nomination posters uh mm-hmm. adrian does a wonderful job every year with the uh with with posters for salado especially when they were doing um the walk with the animals for halloween and stuff so and it's a lot of posters graphics, graphics and we make brochures we make publications we publish a magazine so if uh, somebody sees something and we oversee a lot of the web content as well now i mean essentially if someone sees something in any kind of written communication from the Department of Fish and Wildlife. There's a chance we did it. Whether or not it's a magazine or the hunting or fishing guides mm-hmm. or any of the guides or it's a, a newsletter mm-hmm. or it's a, you know, one of your digital and Kevin homes. does some of those things too, Kevin yeah, Kelly. Kevin Kelly. And, but, I mean, almost everything, not everything, but a lot of what's written communication from the department comes from your all's group, right? Yes, it does. What's the process like? So if say you're going to write an article, what, what are you writing right now? Okay, well, I'll tell you. I've got one waiting on me when I get hum- back yeah. to read. Okay. And it's a piece on they removed Barren River Lock and Dam 1, and they removed Bar- or Green River Lock and Dam 5. Mm-hmm. If um, our listeners remember back in 2015 or 2016. Oh, the, we weren't doing the podcast. Green, then, no, so. yeah. But <laughs> Green River Lock and Dam number 6 yeah. failed. Yeah. And that's the one that impounded the water that leads up into Mammoth Cave National Park. Yeah. So as a result of that, there was some movement and that, you know, these dams are obsolete. They don't serve a purpose and they want to restore fish passage Mm -hmm. and uh, make these access spots for kayakers Mm -hmm. and and restore the more natural flows back to the river. So I'm I'm right. I wrote a piece on that. I went down with Mike Harden. We took pictures of them removing Barren River Lock and Dam number one. Yeah. And Ashley did a great job. I have a timeline, and she's got photographs of each era of these different, as the timeline goes, the pictures correspond. Yeah. So you'll start off in the old days with tugboats, or uh, steam boats, rather, uh, locking through all the way to uh, equipment tearing them out. Nice. So, uh, and I just did a history piece on that, and, and what, what's, what the benefits of what's going to happen. So... The point of the article is to kind of tell people why these dams are built, yes. why they're being taken out, how they're being taken out, and what the result of them being taken out is. Yes. And probably going to cover what the result of them being put in was, too. Yes. You know, I wanted, I want to talk more about that process, but you, you talk about locking dams being removed. Mm-hmm. We just put a video on YouTube, Kentucky Field TV did, a few weeks ago, and it was about hellbenders being released back mm-hmm. into the state. First, yes, first, that's awesome. First hellbender release in the state of Kentucky, right? Mm-hmm. And something that wasn't hit on in the video, I wish I, we would have done it retrospectively, but a lot of the YouTube comments have been, what's changed that's, you know, if these went endangered or if these became very vulnerable, what's changed now that's going to make putting them back in there, mm-hmm. you know, not be the exact same situation again. Yeah. 
and a lot of that, I think, is block and dams being removed. Moved, yes. Because and, and water quality is improved over each decade. It yeah. gets better. Water quality is improving, and plus, those lock and dams, I mean, the primary thing they do to, to habitat for aquatic life it's is terrible. Is siltation. Mm-hmm. You know, they silt everything in. And uh, that, fish, uh, fish passage, so yeah. migratory species that make run, uh, spawning runs and all. Yeah. Now, that makes great fishing because it blocks their movement. That's why they stack up below them. And that's also why people get attached to them, yeah. Because they can go right there, catch fish. Because you know, shooting fish in a barrel a little bit. Yeah, it's still a trade-off, though. And another aspect is safety. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the gentlemen that I saw when I was down taking pictures, he was one of the workers, and and uh, he said he was eating uh, lunch locally, and a man came up to him and he said, uh, "Are you working on Lock and Dam Number One?" He said, "Yes, I am." He goes, "I wish you'd have been there ten years ago." He said, why? He said, uh, my daughter drowned there. Oh, man. So when I was down there as well, there was a makeshift shrine. A, a, a young Hispanic girl um, evidently either jumped in thinking that she was okay. Uh-huh. They found her cell phone and some other personal belongings on the lock wall. Mm-hmm. But she she fell in, jumped in, don't know. She didn't make it. Yeah, those so, overhead dams, you know. I know. They're drowning machines. That's what they're called. They found uh, his daughter. What happened? Their boat got, uh, I guess they ran out of gas, and the battery died for the trolling motor, and the the river was up, and they couldn't do anything. Yeah. They went over the dam, went in their boat. Um, I think husband got kicked free. Mm -hmm. They found her 65 miles downstream. Oh, man. So, you know, there's that aspect as well. Yeah, a lot of people have that won't happen to me mentality, yeah, you know. Yeah, and it will. But, you know, the thing is it happens to somebody all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can go to, you know, a lot of, I hate to say it, Great Crossing in Georgetown, Elkhorn. Uh, I mean, I know I think of three, two or three drownings in the last yeah. couple of years at Great Crossing. Great Crossing, uh, the Jim Beam Dam here in Elkhorn, mm-hmm. which has been removed. died in 2017, I think. Yeah, so, I mean. An experienced kayaker, too. Yeah, there, there's a history. So I'm glad they're coming out for a variety of reasons. But that's what your article you're writing is about, is yeah. about those dams being removed. What's kind of like the research process? You know, obviously, you talked about going there. Mm-hmm. So you go to the site. You um, talk, probably talk to people who are doing oh, yeah. the project. What's yeah. the research like on something Well, like and that? then also, I love history anyway. So one I read um, kind of the history of the Green River. The Corps has an official history of navigation. Um, I use that quite a bit. Um, a, a lady by the name of, of Helen Crocker wrote a great book called The Green River of Kentucky, but I found her master's thesis, which is basically that book in a master's thesis form, yeah. and it was fantastic huh. trove of information. And um, looking at old reports and old expenditures and also the, the, the Corps' uh, authorization to remove these. There's a lot of information in there. Okay. And talking to local people, uh, a man told me at, at Lock and Dam number one, there was a four-story mill there called Brown's Mill. Uh-huh. at the little community of Greencastle. At one time, was a big place on the river. So then you had to research that. Yeah, oh, yeah. And, well, the man said, I remember when I was a kid, I remember watching uh, big ships lock through here. Yeah. And he said, people from three counties would go and use that mill. The bottom part of it and the little, uh, there's a little arch with that, that, where the water came out of it, uh-huh. uh, they left that. Okay. So there's still a historic artifact yeah. there. That's kind of cool. Um, and, you know, show here it was, here it's being torn down, what it looks like now. Okay. And encourage people that we're going to have smallmouth bass. We're going to have better spotted bass. We're going to have better predator fish. Yeah. Less, we'll have cooler water temperatures with more oxygen and less silt, which is going to promote desirable fish species. So your your goal and job is pretty much to 
excuse me, <clears throat> to go out there and do the research, right? Mm-hmm. And you're going to write an article that demonstrates to people why these names were put in, what the impact it's of done. them was. I've just got to go and read. She's already laid it out and everything. What the history of them was, why they're being taken out, how they're being taken out, what the impact of them being taken it's out is going to be. really cool historic photos. And, and then so you write that article, right? Mm-hmm. And then I'm sure that somebody else, like just like us here, when we get done with the project, everybody watches it. Yeah. And we all get feedback. So I'm sur- sure somebody else is going to lay eyes on that and well, proof yeah, it. Ashley, yeah, Ashley's laid it out. I'll proof it. My colleagues will proof it, and then Dave, my boss and editor of the magazine, yeah. will have final say. And then, so aside from you writing that, mm-hmm. you also have photos, and you talked about Ashley mm-hmm. um, taking photos. And then uh, if you need graphics, like uh, anything like maps of she'll, the Green River, you got she'll Adrian. generate that. Yeah, Adrian does that, and, yeah. and, or Ashley will generate that. So Adrian's the, uh, the map queen. So you kind of have a, a team up there of people who all have different roles who mm-hmm. all pitch in and, and help make these publications that include articles like we just talked about for the magazine, right? Mm-hmm. And then you do fall fishing frenzy and you do, mm-hmm. what's your spring one called? Spring fishing, uh, fest, fall fishing festival, spring fishing frenzy. Okay, there you go. Mm-hmm. And those are the hot times to fish. Yeah. So, And then uh, and they're starting to get run in newspapers again. You know, during we had a lull during COVID. Everybody had a lull during COVID. Yeah. But now I know the Richmond Register is starting to run them again. So we're getting our fingers good. back out there good 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 so i mean basically it's a big team effort everybody in that in that branch you know pulling together doing their roles i mean and, I, I find it endlessly fascinating and just yeah. fun i love my job i good. love every day okay. i get up at five in the morning i can't wait oh, there's yeah. only been maybe two days in my 22 year career that i have not wanted to come to work do you know where they were uh, well, I think when I first came off probation, my first evaluation, and then uh, <laughs> why did you think you messed well, yeah, up? Yeah, I didn't know. I was like, oh God, am I going to be? You know, I was all paranoid. I wouldn't make a get off eval or get off uh, probation. Yeah. So, but uh, I was silly, but <laughs> and uh, well, that's, I'm glad you're worried about it. When, uh, that you well, care. when I and also when I know I've got a real, there's been a couple of times where I'm like, gosh, I've got so much to do, yeah. and I've got a really, really stringent deadline staring me in the face. Yeah, those are. But you know, even those days don't. You know, another one of your all's publications, I'm looking at it on the wall right now, is the Kentucky Field Calendar. It's uh, being, it's going to be printed right now, so right. look for it. So it should be a couple of weeks. It'll be in your, uh, I hope, well before Christmas, it'll be in your. That's one of my favorite mailbox. Christmas gifts yeah. to give people to people. Oh, I know. And I, I use them all over the place. I usually try to get two or three, mm-hmm. one at home, one in the office on the wall mm-hmm. um, to reference, and then I usually keep one in my drawer to write notes on. And stuff I like that. I give them away. I give several yeah. away. Every, I mean, that's, it's wonderful. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I, one year I hid 50 just for me. <laughs> and someone rifled my desk, my personal desk, and stole them. Oh, man. <laughs> well, they're a high commodity. I know. know? So, so we have to kind of, we lock them up now. If no. not, boxes walk away. Well, I'm going to need a few. <laughs> we'll yeah, but no that's coming out soon and that's literally one of the most useful publications Th- that calendar i'm pointing at right now and on the right you have the hunting and trapping seasons for the the poster mm-hmm. those are two of my favorite things and that's where the the print branch is responsible for those in addition to the magazines and digital content newsletters mm-hmm. all kinds of things so i kind of wanted to just in a nutshell so, overview and to talk more about fun stuff yeah um one of the stories i just did is something that's going to be kind of cool it's about meldal lock and dam yeah, well, and the new fishing see i was thinking there. you told me about your fishing trip the other day and just now when you were talking about the dams being removed and people like to fish below them because mm-hmm. that's a place where you know they congregate mm-hmm. a lot of those dams on the creeks and small rivers like green river barren river aren't needed anymore no the dams on the ohio river have to be for navigation and hydropower now yeah, yeah. and flood control so i mean they're needed 
and those are great spots to fish. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. you you went to Meldal. Yep, and and I haven't been there since the, the, back in 2015, I believe. They um, you know they put in a new hydropower structure on the Kentucky side, which involved digging a new channel. Yeah, and then having a three turbine hydro structure, and then the outflow channel went back to the river. Mm-hmm. In the old days. You fished the lock gate that was closest to the Kentucky side. They would usually have that open to accommodate anglers. Yeah. If you didn't have a really good rod and you couldn't cast really far, you didn't catch much. Yeah. Because it had to get way out there and hit that flowing water and drop down. Yep. And going up and down, it was a muddy, steep, narrow path that was slick. Now it's state of the art. Yeah. They have different multi-levels of concrete for different water levels, and the fish are like right beside you. You can underhand cast. And be in the strike zone. Because of the hydros? Because of the hydros. And that water flow. And the water flow is right there, and it goes around to a really nice fishing pier. Hmm. Um, I saw a guy catch skipjack herring, and he was giving them to a dude on the fishing pier, and he cut them up, and he was catching blue cats. Nice. Uh, They caught sauger, white bass, and then Rick and I started fishing. Yeah. And um, I was interviewing a guy, and this other man showed up named Mike. And uh, he goes, I'm the, the first guy's name was Mike. And he goes, I'm, I haven't caught anything yet today. He goes, don't worry, they are here. <laughs> he, he called knew. him, yeah, I think he called him the mayor, uh, mayor of Meldal. His name was Mike. And uh, <laughs> yeah. he, he's in the story. And he walked down there and smacked him. Right. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't big, it wasn't big, yeah. it wasn't big talk. It you was got, the truth. You got to love guys like that. Oh, I know. He went down there and did two hours. He had a limit of, I mean, big fat hybrids. He caught a, a nice, about 18 yeah. inch sauger. Uh, and I, he was walking up. I was like, well, why are you leaving, Mike? He goes, I got my limit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you know, I've, Mike sounds like he, he had confidence that day. Yeah, and and he, he made his own heads. Yeah. And they're that bullet shape. Uh, and and there was more of the bullet. It's like the, the hook tie came up about halfway through the bullet. Yeah. And, man, they got down there because that current is strong. Yeah. And even with one ounce, it took a little bit. Yeah. But boy, when they got down there, boom, I caught two huge blue cats yeah. on – Swim baits What you taught me on, too. No, five-inch white fluke. Yeah, those flukes, man. I'll tell you, the blue cats will, like channel cats, you sometimes catch them on a moving bait. Blues, most of the time you don't, but it's like they get in a mood where mm-hmm. they will just attack. Yeah, they did. And there's certain times of the year, I don't know what it is, maybe it's just because, you know, they're feeding on live chad. Yeah. You know, that's what they're after. Flatheads are known for eating live bait, mm-hmm. but those blues, when they, I feel like they congregate better. Yeah, than, they do. Than channel cats or flatheads do. Like blues will all pile in an area, mm-hmm. and if they're in the mood to hit a moving lure, they will. Like if you could, I'm sure it could be done. And somebody out there, I'm sure knows this, who knows more than me. Mm-hmm. But if you knew when that was going to happen, or or how it was going to happen, what the science was behind it, and you said, okay, we can go target blues on swim baits today. I mean, that's one of the most fun fishing opportunities. Oh my god, it's great because you can smack. I was really surprised, and they pull so hard. I mean, I've caught blues, but yeah. Not on, I've, that's the first one I've caught on artificial. I mean, the closest thing you could compare it to is probably stripers. Yeah, I thought they were, Rick caught a big one. He's like, I think this is a big striper. Yeah. And it was pulling, and he, I mean, it was a huge Where else are you going to catch a 20-pound fish on a swim bait? You're, no, talking, no. About, you're talking about musky, but if you did that with a musky, you'd be doing one a day, two a day. No, we caught them. I yeah. mean, Rick caught two, two, uh, two or three nice hybrids and a big fat channel, and yeah. the, the fir- or a big fat blue. First one I caught, I was kind of scampering down the rocks and this gentleman said do you need help i was like do you want this fish he yeah. said yes 
come on. Yeah. <laughs> so he had bigger fish grabbers than I did. So he reached down there, grabbed it, put it in his bucket. That's another away. thing about the river is you find people down there who are looking for fish, you yeah. know. And that that's kind of fun, too. There's a segment we did at uh, McAlpin, which is also, you know, on the Ohio River, um, a few summers ago with my buddy Bobby. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can look at can- canoe and fishing, uh, McAlpin or the Ohio River. And that we smacked the blues on swim baits that day, too. And I just wish that it was like I knew how to predict it. I know. Because if you could predict that, it really is one of the most fun fishing you could possibly do. How late will hybrids stay up? How cold until they vacate? I would say we're getting close. Okay. And they'll scatter. When the, when the, when the hybrids scatter, do the sauger kind of move in? Yeah, I kind of think there's a trade-off there. Yeah. Sauger and walleye on the Ohio, when, about the time the hybrid's over. And people still go catch hybrids. The guys who really know what they're doing know where the warm water's coming from. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> because, I mean, they'll still congregate a lot of times creeks that have warm water inflows. Or if you got a, a sewer treatment plant or a power plant that has a warm water inflow, you can find them piled up in there. But as far as just catching them in moving water, trying to actively feed on disoriented bait balls, mm-hmm. you know, that that's probably coming to an end. But <clears throat> I'm not sure. That's something to do more research on. But my my mind right now is kind of moving more towards I want to go to Cumberland and I want to catch trout mm-hmm. and I want to go uh, sauger and walleye on the uh, – the river but another opportunity that's coming in right now would be reservoir mm-hmm. smallmouth heck yeah and largemouth and i was talking to chad thanksgiving to christmas my favorite time well i was talking to chad about it yesterday and he uh you know filling that buck tag he's 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 filled all six of his deer tags that he's purchased so far this year yeah, and he, he was like man i'm excited i'm excited and he was talking about the water conditions and he said it's just perfect right now it's getting perfect and, you know, he knows a lot more about reservoir fishing than me and a lot more, a whole lot more about smallmouth fishing. And he's one of the best you'll sit in the boat with. He really is. And uh, he's underrated. Mm-hmm. And um, until you fish with him, you don't understand. Yeah. You know, it's hard to until explain. He, hand, he hands you your butt in a yeah. sack. <laughs> yeah. You're yeah. like, wow, this guy's pretty good. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times we've been on shoots with, you know, the, not all, but a lot of guides or professional anglers and you know, we're trying to make them look good. And we're, um, Chad's like, you know, trying to do everything he can not to catch a ton more fish. He's got to catch fish too. But, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. it's like, man, Chad's as good or as better than anybody. But basically what he was telling me is that we're moving into this perfect time for reservoir fishing. Because as the, you know, in the summer, the surface water's hotter. Mm-hmm. And then you got a thermocline. And the fish aren't going to be below the thermocline. And then when we start moving into fall surface water starts cooling down and all that water gets mixed up there's no thermocline anymore mm-hmm. but the water's yeah. all the same temperature you know yes and After so post turnover yeah post turnover the water's all the same temperature and fish don't really relate to anything no. they're just completely scattered so it's really hard to pinpoint these fish but he said with the cold temperatures we've been having lately surface temperature is starting to get considerably cooler than the, the, mm-hmm. the temperature down deeper so those fish are starting there is starting to be something that's attracting those fish, you know, and it's just preferred temperature range because now not everything's the same temperature. Mm-hmm. You actually have water that's too cold up top. And so those fish are starting to, to stage up and to congregate more in areas so you can target them. No doubt. And I think that's probably, honestly, we're coming into the best smallmouth fishing on reservoirs of the entire year. And it's going to last a few months because it'll be oh, heck yeah. pretty much from. I love February. Yeah. I love February. Well, the pre-spawn fish, you know. Mm-hmm. So pretty much from right now, when they start congregating up in that preferred temperature because your surface temperature gets colder, mm-hmm. from now until they spawn out, 
in the spring, you know, late February, early March, or mid-March, this is probably the best, I guess it would be four months of fishing if you're looking to go catch big smallmouth or big mm-hmm. largemouth on reservoirs. So, I mean, as far as hunting and fishing goes, you know, I feel like we always say it, you know, it's one of the best times of the year. Mm-hmm. Like, we say that a lot, don't we? But in truth, you know. But it's often true? Like in the spring, I'm looking forward to the white bass run. I'm looking forward to go catching some farm pond bass and some bluegill out of farm ponds. I'm looking forward to trout, you know, catching keep mm-hmm. season. I'm looking forward to spring turkey mm-hmm. and spring squirrel. Like there's always so much to look forward to in the spring that I, a lot of times I say this is the best. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, that very well could be true. But this time of year that we're in right now is, is good too because you've got deer are just, you know, deer season is in our most popular season is in squirrels in rabbits in coyote hunting's heating up bobcat season opens this saturday um fishing is going to be turning on in the reservoirs certain species like sauger walleye trout are going to be turning on in the rivers so mm-hmm. it's kind of like spring and then this time period we're moving into right now or maybe that we've been into since late october are probably my two favorite times yeah, me, i love now. summer you know I'm glad there's a lot of other fun stuff to do because mm-hmm. uh, J- July and August are not my favorite months of the year. No, that's yeah. that's time to float the stream. I'd say my favorite months are probably October mm-hmm. and April or May. It's, yeah. hard, it's hard to I say. I love May. And I love September and October. I love May and June. I'm trying to think, Lee. What else? So harvest results. And I'm yeah. sorry. I'm jumping all over the well, place here. Right. Yeah, but I'm, I just looked at my notes. and uh, oh, but One thing, Sauger aren't running yet. They aren't running they yet. They are not yet. It's about I time. bet they're about ready. Well, you know, these cold days. Should bring them up. What day did you, you go fishing again? Um, one week ago. Well, yeah, today is Wednesday. Today is Thursday. Thursday, okay. A week in last Wednesday. Okay. Wednesday. Well, you know, they might not. Last Wednesday, we were coming off 70 degrees. I know. Now that we've had this cold weather, they may be up in it, there. It was 70 think? degrees until last Friday because it was 70, 70, 70, and then Friday we got that rain, and the temperatures plummeted, and then we've been below freezing every night since then so i wouldn't be surprised at all if if they aren't there yet <clears throat> it's on their mind you know what i mean like they're thinking about it yeah and i could go back one of my favorite tools for fishing especially not so much hunting but fishing is the camera roll on my phone mm. being able to look at dates yes. and being able to look at locations because if i was thinking about going fishing right now i'll be honest with you i've got eight years of data on my phone i would probably scroll back to november like late november and look at the pictures and look at the pictures from different years mm-hmm. and then if i start seeing something oh man this is when we were going down to mm-hmm. okay i see i do all my fishing and trips. i just i just digitally do it uh, through laziness by taking pictures but it, it helps yeah and so it's getting to be a time of year where i would definitely start thinking about that but while we're on the I, saying something about how the weather switched last friday got me wanting to tell a story about how i messed up really really bad like heartache like i haven't felt in a while actually i take that back last opening day of deer season 2021 i felt a lot of heartache um because i got a shot at the big buck i was after and um he survived he you know he was fine up until this year when somebody else got him Mm. but um last friday man it really really hurt my spirits as a hunter we were off work for veterans day Mm -hmm. and it was my the way i looked at it it was my last day to feel my buck tag on public land because i so fort knox you get an extra buck and it's not easy to hunt there not easy at all and i'd been hunting for days and days and days and i hadn't had any luck last friday i went out and i was going to hunt all day 
and I just thought it's my last chance. I'm going to go. And I got out there and it was raining that morning, but it was about 60 degrees. You know, it wasn't super cold. So I just wore one shirt and a waterproof jacket and a pair of pants and a pair of rain pants. They weren't, and I walked through so many briars and so many sticker bushes. I was soaking wet within an hour. And I sat out there in that pouring rain and it was, man, I was, I got to the point where the temperature started dropping Mm -hmm. as the rain came. And at one point, I think it got down into the low 40s, and I was just soaked. And I was sitting there shivering. You know, I wasn't being a wuss about it. But, it, I mean, I was just physically cold. Yeah. And so it was about the time of day where I was going to walk back to the truck. Rain was easing up. I was going to dry off, put on some dry clothes, come back out and hunt the rest of the day without shivering. And mm-hmm. as I was walking through the woods back towards my truck, I got to this spot up on this ridge in thick woods where behind me it was all briars and stickers but in front of me there was a nice big open area of beech and oak and hickory and I could probably see 80 or 90 yards through the woods so I stopped there for a second and I grunted two or three times and I just stood there I was thinking I might see something in this spot but I'm telling you I was cold and I was tired and I had gotten a little bit lazy Mm -hmm. to be honest with you and about a minute and a half two minutes after I rattled I heard a twig snap behind me and I turned around, and there was a public land giant wow. like 20 yards away. And when I say public land giant, you know, it would be my first public land buck, and I wish I had him. Mm-hmm. He's not like a giant by most people's standards, but yeah. a good deer, mm-hmm. a good deer. And uh, he was 20 yards away and walking straight towards me. And in my cold, shivery laziness, I never took an arrow out of my quiver and knocked it in my bow. So then I had this awesome buck 20 yards away locked in staring straight at me and i didn't have an arrow in my bow so i really messed up <laughs> you know I, I what happened well he stopped oh i knew that the way he was coming i probably had four or five seconds before he was on top of me so even though he was looking my direction i i pulled an arrow out of my quiver and started putting it on my string and in my rest and he stopped and he was staring straight at me and i knew just by giving his body language that I had to go ahead and get ready for a shot, even though he was looking at me. Because even though he was seeing that movement, he, he was coming in there to a grunt call, and there was a chance that he was not going to turn and bolt. There was a chance he was going to turn and take a step or two and stop. You know, Because when they're full of testosterone and they're coming looking for a fight, sometimes they aren't as apt to run as quickly. So even though he was looking right at me, I made the movement. I did get an arrow knocked. I did get turned. And I did get the full draw. And then I probably sat there, him looking at me through the V in a tree. We were making eye contact. I could see basically from his throat patch up. Um, and he was a real nice, tall, eight or ten pointer with a kicker off his G2 on this right side. And I sat there and stared at him. I got a good look, and he got a good look at me. I was a full draw hoping that he would turn because I knew he was gone. I was hoping he would turn and leave slowly um, and give me a chance, but he did not. Once I was a full draw for a few seconds, I started getting impatient. I started leaning to my left to try to get a shot around the tree that I was looking at him through. And when I started making that move to my left to try to go ahead and get a shot at him standing, he turned and bolted quick. And that was just a heartbreaker. You know, and if I just would have had an arrow knocked. Yeah. So it was just the fact that because I, I always knock an arrow when I grunt because I, I have been there before in that situation and I know that things can happen fast. But for some reason, just... Well, when you're cold, sometimes it dulls you know, your brain. And I'd already grunted and rattled 100 yards from that exact location uh, probably two hours before. Like I said, I was making a, a circle back to my truck. So I'd come through and I'd already called and grunted there uh, a couple hours before that. And uh, I think that either I just 
didn't actually believe something was going to happen or I was just caught. I just basically, I got lazy and that, that really cost me. So I promise you that at least for the next two or three years, that will never happen again. Yeah. And then I might start getting lazy. Again. <laughs> you know, I can't promise I'm never going to be, never going to not make the mistake again, but I promise you I won't make the mistake for a while. Yeah. Until the paint wears off at oh, least. It, it happens. Yeah. But so that was that was a fun hunt. How many big fish have gotten away on the jump? Yeah. Oh, a they're lot. all they're always bigger. I know. When they jump and throw it, they're always bigger. Yeah. No, but so that that was fun. I I've been out in the woods. So that started. That was a hundred Thursday evening and then all day Friday and then like I said, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday with friends or myself or family. And so yesterday really was the first day since last Thursday. So six out of seven days in the woods. So I got to see a lot of deer activity, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm, I'm telling you, I wish I had a statewide buck tag right now because I would love to be out there hunting deer, but you know, I'm just going to fill my freezer with those. I've only taken one so far this year and I plan on putting a quick change to that. And mm-hmm. you know, my girlfriend's interested in deer hunting this year. And when I first met her, she never would have, she never would have thought of it. And then over the, over time of, you know, seeing, she's gone deer hunting with me, seen me harvest deer. She's gone deer hunting and seen me not harvest deer. She eats plenty of deer. Now she's actually interested and I think I'd like to deer hunt. So I I haven't bought her license and tags yet because I'm going to wait till we're actually heading to hunt because I want to make sure that, you know, I'm not, Mm -hmm. I want to make sure we're actually hitting the woods before I do that. But I did go ahead and get her, her, uh, one year exemption on her hunter ed, yeah, which is a possibility. So she, it's a one time thing, you know, where if you don't have your hunter ed and you want to hunt, you can apply for a one year exemption online. And that's pretty quick and easy. There's like a quick yeah. 10, 10 question quiz that you have to do. All the questions are honestly pretty common sense as far as safety goes. We don't want it to be a barrier to people getting out. It's not. And the only real kicker, <clears throat> the only difference in, having that ex- one year exemption versus having your hunter ed is that you have to be with so if you're hunting mm-hmm. and you're on that one year exemption you have to be with someone who's hunter ed certified yeah which you know if you're on your exemption chances are that's what you're going to be doing anyway. like she'll be with me and i have my orange card so that's all fine and good no doubt. so that's the only kicker to that but it's a great way if somebody decides last minute like right now that they would like to deer hunt well they probably don't have time to go through hunter ed yeah they might but there's a little bit of an application and a turnaround period there. But they can always get that one-year exemption if they haven't done it already. Okay. So I think it's a great thing we did. Yeah. So I'm hoping she'll want to get out. And if she gets out, I've got a, a nine-point buck that has been a real bully. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got trail cam photos of him kicking fawns in the face Bam. and pushing deer around that you know are way out of his weight class. So I think i got a, a buck picked out that I'd love to try to, you know, put in front of her but and I, I personally think that i don't know everybody's different but just feeling out her personality i think that she would prefer to probably harvest a buck if she could i think she because she spends enough time outdoors i think that mm. i don't know something about her personality just tells me that that would be a better first deer for her whereas some people i, I would think that a doe would be perfectly fine but yeah. i'm not i'm not sure why i feel that way it's just like kind of a gut instinct thing you know so i'd love to do that if i can she'll enjoy it well i hope so she might not you know we'll see but we're gonna go we're gonna go find out and she's perfectly fine going with me and she's interested in the process so if um and she eats a lot of my deer meat so it's about time she started contributing you know what i mean (laughs) so even though yeah yeah it's about time because she she loves eating that deer meat so she needs to start putting a little bit in the refrigerator too so no doubt 
Yep. So that's oh, kind that's kind of where I'm at right now as far as cool. hunting goes. I'm going to the UK game tonight, so I won't be hunting tonight either. But tomorrow I'll probably be back out there. Um, who are we playing? South Carolina State, mm. favored by forty. And apparently, according to the matchup predictor, we have a ninety-nine percent chance to win. So it should be a, a real that barn burner. Night was a kicker. The two overtime. Yes. Well, you know, I'm kind of. I wish we that UK would have won that game, but the fact that they lost makes me think that tonight's game won't be one of those sleepy. Yeah. You know, we're supposed to beat this team by forty. We got a ninety-nine percent. We have an eight-point lead with five minutes left or something. Yeah, yeah, I think this is one where those guys will probably come out and be pretty engaged. Yeah, so doubt. it kind of made me glad for the fact that I'm going to tonight's game that they lost the other night because I think I'll probably get a better show tonight. Mm-hmm. But I still wish we would have won that game. I know. So, yeah, well. That, but anyway, so two days off deer hunting. They'll learn from that, though. Yeah, yeah. This will make them a better team down the road. Uh, eventually. Yeah. And I'm not worried about it. A lost a two OT loss to Michigan State in November. That's not going to hurt us. No. And they've already almost beaten Gonzaga. I so. know. And we play Gonzaga Sunday. Yeah. Anyway, that's probably enough sports talk. Yeah. Uh, a half of our audience is probably really salty on sports right now, yeah. so we don't want to. No doubt. And that that <laughs> half would be UK football fans and Louisville basketball fans. <laughs> Those are the salty that is the, Oh, that is the truth. What do you got over there, Lee? Well, I you know we were talking about deer, and you, we were going to do a little. Um, discussion of the, you know, as of this morning, uh, maybe around 11 o'clock, uh, 77,719 so far, 58% male, 42% female. Last year's harvest was 132,328. Um, so, you know, we're more than half off to last year's harvest total already. Okay, and that's good because we still have over half of modern firearm season to go and a one week long late muzzleloader season to go. Not That's my my buddy Joe, that's his favorite. That's favorite right. Time More to likely run. to get snow then. Yeah. So that's good. The um, I, w- I, w- I want to get a, a, some one of the deer folks on to give us a, a deeper dive on those numbers mm-hmm. to really see. I'd like to know more about how the weather played a part. Kind of look at last year's weather and, and harvest results versus this year's. And I'm sure it didn't hurt. Couldn't have hurt. And I also want to talk to him about CWD check and how all that's going. So that's something we'll jump on soon. Man, you just said something a second ago, Lee, that that made me want to talk. Well, I can't remember. It slipped my mind. But there was something you just said that teed something up for me, and I completely lost it. Um, so. We're halfway there with harvest results. We're halfway to last year's, more than half, 77,000. So last year's 132. Mm-hmm. Um, males, 58. Oh, that's females. what it was. That's what you said that teed yeah. me up. Males, 58. Female forty two percent. Got to get those numbers up. Yeah, and I will tell you, I don't. I have not talked to Roger Lapointe or any of the people from Hunters for the Hungry yet this year. But a buddy of mine who has nuisance tags on a on a farm for crop reasons um, has donated six deer so far this year, six does. And he told me that at this point in the season before he had been turned away from processors for Hunters for the Hungry donations because they had hit their quotas. He said, right now, the processors are telling him, this is as of yesterday, bring them all. Like, bring us as many as you want. We've got the quotas for them. I'd love to talk to Roger, Hunters for the Hungry, about why that is. But my guess is that um, the tornadoes in western Kentucky and the floods in eastern Kentucky, I know a lot of that Hunters for the Hungry venison, you know, that they use for, for things like that, went to those areas. So I'm not sure if they're... Just supplies lower and they need more deer, or if 
they were able to raise more money and have a larger quota for how many deer they can accept mm -hmm. um, or what's going on. But it sounds to me like processors are looking for Hunters mm -hmm. for the Hungry donations and uh, are more than capable of taking them. And all you have to do is field dress the deer and go drop it off. You know, telecheck it and drop it off. And that's all there is to it. So mm -hmm. I, would I would encourage people, especially in Zone 1 counties, to look look into that. Just get on Hunters for the Hungry website and look for a processor near you. And chances are, I mean, you might want to call them first and make sure. But the way it sounds to me is that they are looking for deer. Yeah. So consider that. And that's, no doubt. It's important. Yeah. What they do is very important. for. It helps a lot of people. Between Chad and his deer he's harvested and his son also getting out during youth season and harvesting a deer, they have seven. Already. Wow. So their family is stocked up on deer. So I was talking to Chad. I was like, man, if we get back out this year, let's do a Hunters for the Hungry hunt. Mm -hmm. And so that'll probably be something we look to do Good. here in a little bit. And it is super for easy. For the show? Yeah. It is super easy. You just harvest the deer, telecheck them, field dress them, and drive them and drop them off. And like the place that we've done it before, C&J Processing in uh, Spencer County, they even have a 24-hour cooler. You know, you just drop the deer off, fill out the form with your info, and so it's not even like a, oh, I have to have it there by 8 p.m. You know, a lot of processors have 24-hour drop-offs, so it's nice and convenient. And mm -hmm. yeah, just something worth mentioning while we're still in modern firearm season. Heck yeah. Yep. If you want to go out and hunt, you, you, you're... At freezer capacity, you can help some people who are less fortunate. And that's what this time of year is all about anyway. And it's not even just less fortunate. Like I said, I was I was surprised to hear about the, you know, less fortunate in the moment, the disaster relief yeah. with the tornado and with the floods. I mean, mm -hmm. they helped out a lot with that. I, I wish I had the numbers in front of me, how many meals were provided through Hunters for the Hungry. Oh, that's for, awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not just people who, you know, are, are you know, day in day out could use a little bit of help food insecure is what they yeah but it's it's also you know disaster relief which we've had a lot of here lately so i oh, know yeah something something to consider especially if you have too many deer on your property Maybe. but 58 percent to 42 percent i'd have to ask one of the deer people if those are good numbers or how they compare to other years but you know 50 50 seems like it should be about right yeah i guess the average deer hunter harvest what is it one point it's like 1.2 or 1.7 deer and per year. And the limiting year. factor, again, is freezer space, I thought. Is that what they say? Freezer space? One of, that's one of the limiting factors of how many. I could see that. I could see that. So, Like it, my brother. His buck, he's like, Lee, I'm full of deer. I've got enough deer for the rest of the year. Hmm. So, I don't. I need more deer. <laughs> so, yeah. I think uh, Jerry Binack uh, used to work here. I think he would take nine sometimes, eight or nine a year. I typically take six to eight. And we eat them. I mean, mm -hmm. he did too. He's like, he took pride in not ever buying beef from the grocery store. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's $9 a pound right now. So if you can save the money, might as well. And I'm telling you, if it's cooked properly, it's just as good or better. Mm -hmm. It's better for you. Yeah. So uh, it's a, it's a win-win-win. No all preservatives, around, so. no chemicals, no nothing, low fat, high protein. Taken better care of. Mm -hmm. I promise you the people at, you know, whoever's processing beef, I mean, they're doing so much of it and it's not for them or anybody they know i promise you you'll take better care of it Heck if yeah. you do it yourself no doubt so that's kind of the way i look at it but you got no anything doubt. else lee man i think i'm tapped out we need to next podcast I'm, i mean i enjoy the ones where it's just me and you but i would like to see if we could round up somebody from wildlife or fisheries to give a little bit more insight on the fall fishing opportunities yeah. or i would like to talk to wildlife about you know what's going how the cwd check stations went mm -hmm. um kind of what they saw and from hunters and you know what the 
I don't want to call it compliance rate, what the participation rate was like, mm-hmm. you know, eastern and western Kentucky, and kind of get a roundup from those guys, maybe get a wrap-up on some harvest numbers. Maybe we look to do uh, do that one whenever we can get someone available, keep putting out those feelers and see if we can I get will. somebody on the hook. So I will. All right. And we'll probably when we get back from Thanksgiving, we'll look to be putting another one out. That's next think? week, isn't it? Yes. Next week. Next Thursday. And um, unfortunately, I'll be on the beach in Florida. Oh, no, man. <laughs> That's rough. <laughs> That is rough. I'll be casting from the shore. Do you know what you're going to try to catch? Well, I, my understanding is that I've got a chance at some, sometimes a pompano will make another fall run, redfish. Mm. If I go to the bay, I may go to the bay, try to get some speckled trout there in. So yeah. there's several species that are in in, in fall. And Mako's kind of pile up down there, right? Yes. Mako's, I think when the water gets about this temperature, maybe I'm thinking a little later in the year. There's a certain time of year where I've heard that the Mako's pile up off the coast of Florida, mm-hmm. and a lot of people like to go fly fish for them off, like, flat boats. Mm. Like, you know, boats for the flats, yep. almost like a redfish like, boat. Like, yeah, but, yeah. Yeah, I think that'd be a lot of fun, go Mako shark fishing with Heck a fly yeah. rod. But that, that would be. I wish you luck down there, Lee. I appreciate and, it. And uh, safe travels, and uh, happy Thanksgiving yeah, to everybody. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody. And good luck if you're hitting the woods. Heck, yeah. See you, Lee. All right, man.